This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together, and I hope you had a great weekend. Uh, Busy, busy time, lots happening for lots of families. Uh, School winding down for some. Uh, I was was over uh, with my daughter and my wife and our whole family for a um, college weekend this past weekend, which was great. Uh, My oldest daughter is a freshman in college, so... We had a great time Um, and a lot happening across uh, the country and the world uh, and lots to comment on. I, I, you know, when I get to my wink every day, I think to myself, what's the most important story that's not being covered in what I would say is a sane way. And I have to say, I changed my mind since I started to get ready for this um, wink. What you need to know, first of all, if you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you'll see Ed Martin's Pro America Report. There you can sign up for the daily email, the wink, what you need to know. And that's what we start today. But here's the thing. When I thought about I thought, you know, I thought, well, there's the leak, uh, the leaker who it looks like he leaked some documents that show the Ukraine-Russian uh, war is in a different place than maybe we thought. Uh, there's conversations about uh, uh, the uh, school choice movement, vouchers. A very ugly smear. I might get to that later in the show. Uh, smear against uh, Chris Rufo. Uh, sorry, Corey D'Angelo, not Chris Rufo. They, Corey D'Angelo is the one who got smeared. A terrible, mean spirited, almost political ad. I, I have to say, I guess the creator of the ad, which really smeared Corey D'Angelo, I, I guess they're considering him a public figure so thoroughly that they think they're protected, but it was really brutal. Um, but I, I could talk about all those things. I could talk about uh, Tesla. Uh, it looked like they were going to have a launch uh, to go to uh, Mars or the next step in that for Elon Musk. Uh, but that got scrapped uh, early in the day on Monday, I think. Uh, we'll see. But instead, I want to talk about the violence that was featured over the weekend in Chicago. And when I say it was featured, most of our major cities have uh, violence and crime every weekend. Um, If you go and do a tally of the number of people shot, for example, in a place like Chicago over a weekend, it's it's devastating numbers. Sometimes it's more than 50 people shot on a two night, two day period. But and and, and right now our cities are lawless and, and or our cities are uh, wild. Let's say that way. I, lawless is a little bit of an overstatement, but it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. And, and why I'm covering this as uh, my wink today, what you need to know, is because I did a radio interview earlier today. And the, and the guy on the other end, he's kind of a libertarian. And he said, well, Ed, you know, um, New York City, but people say that there's not enough enforcement of the laws, you know, and that the, the current prosecutor is the Soros guy and spending his resources on, on trying to trump up charges against the former president. He said, this guy said, but Ed, the, the jails are full. The jails are full. What what are you going to do? And I said, well, if you want to change the laws so there's less people in jail, go ahead and change the laws. If you want the executive branch to do a a pardon, go ahead and do a pardon. But if you're going to have a system of laws and you send out the word, the bat signal goes out from Gotham or any other city, that when it comes to so-called, you know, basic crimes, property crimes sometimes called we're not going to enforce them or in addition in a lot of these cities they're not going to enforce any of the drug laws so if you burn a car in in washington dc at trump's inauguration you won't get prosecuted 
If you break a window in Chicago over this past weekend, you won't get prosecuted. In fact, you'll get the mayor to say something like, well, we, we sure wish there was constructive ways where these young people could go somewhere and uh, be supervised by adults. What? These people don't want to be supervised by adults. And my point is not that the mob of kids were hardened criminals, but you don't have to go far to see that the, 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 the bat signal being out creates a situation where you can't really tell the difference. Remember a few months ago when there was a, an epidemic of people, they call it smash and, gra- uh, smash and grab. They go into malls in, 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 in uh, California, especially. And a gang of people would have a mask, a bunch of masks on and they'd break open the cases and they'd grab the jewelry or the watches or other stuff. And it wasn't always the highest end. It wasn't like they would do it at Tiffany's. Tiffany's has an armed guard at the front and has, a, a, you know, uh, arm, b- bars on the door. They would go to the mid-level places, the mid-level uh, uh, um, department stores and, and in the malls. But they knew they wouldn't be prosecuted. They knew that there would be no consequences. Again, once you set up a system where the cost of bad behavior is low or nothing, don't be surprised when people take advantage of that. So in Chicago and in New York and in D.C. and in my hometown, St. Louis, the prosecutors have announced that they will not prosecute so-called property crimes, that they will not prosecute drug crimes, drug violations. And once you do that, You can expect that those things will people that want to commit those crimes, people that want to commit that mischief will come to that town. That's inevitable. And what it's doing is over time, it's making inevitable that you cannot go to the cities. Because if you go to the cities because you like, uh, you know, to see the skyline in Chicago on the on the lake there and it's, you know, you like to go to the Navy Pier. And you can see the Ferris wheel and there's music and all. That's fine. Because why? Because the thing that you want, the incentive for you to be there is the skyline and the, and the, and the Navy pier. But if the things you want to do are lawlessness, you have all the incentive you can want to go to downtown Chicago. And so you will. And pretty quickly, absent a change in the, in the enforcement of the law, the people who want to see the skyline and the Navy Pier are not going to come down in the face of crime and, and lawlessness and having their car broken into or having to worry about a group of people, you know, raving across uh, an area in the back in the 80s. They called it wilding. It was a whole movement. Now, my point there, by the way, is that these things do ebb and flow when you get a series of law enforcement officials and mayors and others that don't enforce the law, you get a a, a bad situation. And the the classic example is the New York City, is New York City in the 1970s and 80s, when it got increasingly lawless, increasingly graffiti covered, and you ended up with vigilantes like Bernie Getz pulling a gun out on the subway and shooting somebody, and you had people getting more and more fed up and fleeing from New York City until... There was a dramatic change in leadership. And actually, I was just watching a documentary about this called Gotham. I'm going to try to get the speaker on. And Gotham actually gave the credit. He said it started to happen actually under Koch. I guess Koch, excuse me, 
it started to happen under Dinkins. Dinkins actually hired a so uh, Mayor Koch was the mayor of New York City, and it continued downhill. Then Mayor Dinkins, African American, was upset uh, Koch in the primary and became the the mayor. And and Dinkins uh, was boxed in by the crime and and forced against his political will by the Speaker of the uh, City Council to hire a bunch of cops. And they actually added a whole bunch, tens of thousands of cops. But it didn't happen in time for uh, Dinkins to get credit in this documentary. They cover that. So what happens? Rudy wins. And then after Rudy's eight years or nine years because of the, uh, the or eight years because of the situation with the um, uh, 9-11, then Rudy hands it off to Bloomberg, who goes another, was it 10 or 12 years? I guess 12 years. He, he actually got term limits rolled because of the uh, crisis. And so what you end up with is uh, people who are seeing that the incentive changed, that the incentive changed, and that uh, the reality is that the uh, crime can be stopped if there's law enforcement and prosecutors are willing to do it. And that's what happened there. So what you need to know is the cities are not, um, giving us examples of ch- of kids being worse. Uh, they're not an example of the jails being full. They're not an example of social media run wild. They're not an example of any of those things. They are cl- a clear result of going ahead and not enforcing the law and holding people accountability for crimes that have an impact broadly on how you live. And that was, by the way, again, back to this documentary called Gotham. Uh, that's what you saw in New York. They called it uh, 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 broken windows. I think it was broken windows. They would they would basically say anywhere where you saw graffiti or broken windows, you fix it because people have a better sense of what's happening. They have a better uh, understanding of law and order when they see it all around them. So that's what you need to know today. What it's not just defund the police. It's not just defund the police. It's it's send up the bat signal that you want lack of accountability and violence and crime and people will deliver for it. So that's what you need to know. We will take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. My friend Michael Volpe, the investigative journalist and uh, friend of the program, a frequent guest and someone who has um, often has some really helpful ideas of thinking, things that I'm not seeing, sent me an email uh, earlier today. He said, hey, I'm not sure you saw this story we ought to talk about. It. If you go over to his substack, michaelvolpe.substack.com, Michael Volpe, V-O-L-P-E. Uh, the title is Michael Volpe Investigates. And so... Michael, you sent me this. Um, I, I I don't even understand actually the timing of this. So walk us through it. The, the The idea is that there's a medical doctor um, who refused to require masks, but years ago, I think. Anyway, let's tell me tell me what's going on here. Tell me where it is. It's not exactly in California. Uh, it's right. not exactly in New York State. Tell me about it. Go ahead, please. Yeah. So the doctor's name is Eric Henson. He uh, practices out of Texas, ear, throat, and nose specialist. And so if you remember, I think it was the summer of 2020, Governor Greg Abbott uh, did put uh, a uh, mandate or an executive order together that required all businesses to require uh, 
that everyone wear a mask. And Dr. Henson didn't believe this was right. So he, at his practice, I put, put a sign up and, and obviously also this was the, like the order, if you will, in the practice that you're not required to wear a mask. And then he said, if you feel that's a problem, I call and cancel the appointment and we, you, you can either redo the appointment or we'll recommend someone else. Mm-hmm. So that executive order was rescinded at somewhere between three and six months later. Don't quote me on the exact timing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, while, while it, because it was in effect and Dr. Henson was violating Governor Abbott's order for a few months, the Texas Medical Board went after him, went after his license. Right. And so I, towards the end of 2021, so I think it was about 18 months later, they gave him what I term a slap on the wrist. So a thousand dollar fine, uh, like some continuing education classes. He calls it jurisprudence and I should know exactly what that means, but I think it's retaking a test. Now he refused to do it. I asked it. I asked, seems like if you had just paid the fine and, and these seem minimal, um, he, he said, well, I felt that the punishment was wrong and I wasn't going to accept the wrong punishment. And so because he had failed to do that, the, the Texas Medical Board continued to go after him. And their most recent punishment, which was at the beginning of April of this year, uh, he was suspended for a couple of days. Uh, he has to do some more uh, classes, other things. But the, the main thing is he's put on the central database uh, all around the country as a troublemaker doctor. And he's already lost privileges at one hospital. Huh. I, one insurance company dropped him because they have a rule that if you're suspended for any period of time, we immediately drop you. So his his practice is certainly threatened. And the Texas, this is not the only doctor who challenged the establishment on COVID in Texas who the Texas Medical Board has gone after. And I started being an investigative journalist in 07 and one of the first things I investigated was medical boards, in particular Texas, the Texas Medical Board, which is a long and documented history of corruption. But the second doctor who the Texas Medical Board went after was Dr. Mary Bowden, and she prescribed ivervectum. And she also, by the way, is ear, throat, and nose specialist. Uh, and then she lost privileges at her hospital, and uh, the Texas Medical Board went after her for providing misinformation, I think, is the way they termed it. And she has a, a similar story. They also gave her a slap on the wrist. It was slightly more significant. I think her fine was $5,000. But again, the jurisprudence, uh, the continuing education. And because she refused, they went after her even harder. And so her case is still ongoing. There's a lot that's been written about uh, with her. So if you want to find out more, but... I, it seems like the Texas Medical Board is going after doctors who challenged the establishment on COVID. Uh, we're talking to Michael Volpe. Michael, uh, uh, pulling back for one second on this story, uh, Doctor Henson. He, he's not a fly by night uh, uh, doctor. Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't see it in your story, but I think I know that he's. You know, he's got he's got um, normal to above average credentials. I mean, he's so. Right. Um, and and his 
professional assessment at the time when everybody was guessing when Fauci, mm-hmm. for example, admitted that he was lying about masks. Mm-hmm. He, he was, you know, right. he, he said he, he lied because he didn't want to run on the N95 masks. So he was mm-hmm. lying about it. Um, my point here is that, uh, you know, people were guessing what worked. And by the mm-hmm. time it was done, uh, and you know, ear, nose, throat, uh, uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor, you think he's got a pretty good right to guess. That's what he does. I mean, he's doing, well, you know, what is, um, so they, they guess in this case. Um, mm-hmm. and then uh, according to the establishment, they've guessed wrong. Uh, but you know, by a certain point, I don't know when that would be a year ago, two years ago, whenever it would be. I think most people would say, okay, nobody really knew what they were doing in that setting. And yet they're still enforcing this against him. Is this because is that is what you said in the middle of this? Is that is that because he sort of didn't, you know, didn't take his uh, medicine, you know, to coin a phrase uh, or mm-hmm. they could have dropped it, I suppose, and said, OK, well, we were all guessing at that point. Um, what's your sense of why they didn't? I mean, what is it just um, sort of woke medical boards? I the, the Texas Medical Board definitely has a long history of corruption that I covered many years ago. Mm-hmm. But look, the, number one, they they did give him a slap on the wrist that he refused to to follow through on. That would have ended this. But it, I, I guess the simplest way to describe it is there was an executive order and he refused to abide by the executive order. And the Texas Medical Board saw that as a violation of their rules. And they are determined to, to mete out punishment for the violation of their rules, regardless of what we now looking back think of those rules. Uh, he violated their rules as they see them. Now, there was no specific rule that said you have to have mass at, 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 your practice, but they said, since the governor demanded it and you refused it, it violates our code. Um, and I, with Dr. Bowden, it's, you know, it's even more complex. They're essentially, you didn't go along with the Fauci, the vax is right, everything else is wrong narrative, and so we're going to punish you. Um, but on top of it, by not doing the, and it was a slap on the wrist of right originally right. by not doing that you know he he did escalate it he I interviewed him for about 20 minutes you can listen to the interview he'll tell you why he escalated it but he he did escalate there yeah. there was an opportunity for both dr Bowden and dr Henson to resolve this with fairly small amount of punishment and they chose to to amp it up and you know, I've dealt with bureaucracies a lot. Bureaucracies don't like it when you challenge them. So yeah, uh, here we are. And that, and that, and Michael again. We're talking with Michael Volpe. And and again, if Michael Volpe investigates, is his Substack over michaelvolpe.substack.com. And a lot of and as he's you know he's an investigative journalist is how he describes himself. And you look in here, Michael. One common. Um, one common, uh, to me, one common, uh, aspect of your journalism is that you're, you find these places and stories where, you know, government is, se- seems to be, um, as you say, either corrupt 
or uh, mm-hmm. proceeding with its power in a way that doesn't really make sense for its ends. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes I don't know if it's, you know, small C corruption, meaning they're just drunk with power, or if there's actually somebody influencing, you know, some of the cases and things we've talked about where the family courts, there's so much money moving in and out of those places. It feels like it's capital C corruption with money moving. In this case, I don't know. I, it looks a lot more like control. Um, what, what's the future of this? Is, is, does Henson, Dr. Henson have a way that he gets uh, a challenge on the merits? It feels like he's sort of stuck in the procedural fight. Um, and maybe the, um, the effort, uh, uh, against, uh, the other doctor, sorry, her name fails me is, is, Dr. Uh, Mary Bowden. yeah, Dr. Uh, Mary Bowden, that that's already sort of moved along too. I mean, are we, I hate to say it, are we, are, are, are have we missed the chance to have these fights on the actual sort of facts of the medicine? Right. Uh, the, there's ways to challenge the ruling and he's got an attorney. His name is Paul Davis. Uh, so he can challenge it. You know, I'm not going to read the tea leaves and how, how easy or hard that challenge will be. Right. He's hoping that this story reaches the governor and the governor takes action. I'm not sure if the governor can. The governor of Texas appoints the, the members of the Texas Medical Board. So it it's his people. I don't know. I don't know how many of them were appointed while Abbott's been the governor, but he does have a direct uh relationship to the Texas Medical Board. Uh, there are things that Dr. Henson can do. I, it, it seems to me, I, that this is a doctor who challenged the establishment, but then on top of it, refused to accept the punishment and right. say, you're right. I did these things wrong. Here's the thousand dollars. I'll retake the test, do some continuing education. Uh, and Dr. Bowden could have done the exact same thing. And she, she would, she would have, um, finished yeah. up her things with the Texas Medical Board as well. And, and I do want to say again that the initial punishment was what I consider a slap on the wrist. So it isn't that that they initially went overboard with their punishments, but right. neither right. doctor would accept the punishment. Right. And, you know, well, and, and, and the audience know, can say whether it's right or wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I mean, you, you and I both know a lot of doctors. I'm married to one and, uh, and mm-hmm. they they believe what they're going to believe. They've spent a lot yeah. of their career figuring things out, and they say, "Hey, wait a second! Don't tell me, you know, the sky is green when I know it's blue." And uh, in this case, um, uh, again, backing up uh, Michael Volpe for one second. Mm-hmm. Again, you 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 wrote a lot during the COVID, and you saw a lot of the uh, you saw a lot of the government interaction and all. Um, it 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 uh, doesn't look like <laughs> that that the science uh, follow the science crowd learned much. I mean, even in Texas. It looks mm-hmm. like a lot of uh, maybe it's Texas, a lot of ego on all sides. It is. And, you know, one interesting thing is that when Abbott reversed his executive order, he yeah. also ordered uh, any punishments as a result of the initial order need to go away because they were I, part of the reason he rescinded it, uh, at least at the time he did, was because they were going after the lady who uh, who had a hair salon who opened it when they weren't supposed to. Uh, and so he was saying anyone who was punished during the executive order, that, that punishment also goes away. Um, so you would think it would apply to the Texas Medical Board as well, but it, it hasn't. It, it might be eagle that, that you, uh, number one, refuse to abide by the mandate. Uh, yeah. and Dr. Henson explains why he didn't. 
But then on top of it, we gave you this re I'm sure in the in the TMB's mind, it's a reasonable punishment. And rather than doing it, you flaunted the punishment. And so right. we're going to go after you even more. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, Michael Volpe, again, michaelvolpe.substack.com. Michael, thank you for the time and for digging into these stories and uh, bringing them to my attention. Uh, very helpful. Uh, we will put up on social media a link to his site and uh, make sure that we get some more there. So thanks, Michael. Michael Volpe, everybody. Uh, we will take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our next guest, I've been looking forward to this. As my listeners know, sir, uh, our next guest is a professor, a professor of politics at George Fox University. His name is Mark David Hall. Uh, he's also on the faculty, uh, I guess, as an associate faculty over at Emory University, Baylor University also. And his new book, which is what I love. Uh, my listeners know I love uh, books and I love that I get them sent to me and I can read through them. It is from Fidelis Books, which is an imprint of our friends at Post Hill Press, and the book is called Pro, Pro, excuse me, Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land, How Christianity Has Advanced Freedom and Equality for All Americans. So first of all, uh, Professor Mark David Hall, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me. It seems a little bit out of, uh, uh, out of fashion uh, to be as clear as you are in this book, uh, about Christianity being a, a, a positive, uh, and I'm I'm not really I'm not teasing at all. I, you know, right now uh, Christianity is in that period. I, I think it does ebb and flow a bit in the popular uh, press and all, but it's kind of viewed negatively. It's uh, exploitative. It's been uh, used by too many people to take advantage of people. I, I guess you know you're a professor of politics as well as uh, I'm sure history. Are we in this? Is it an ebb and flow? Are we in a particularly challenging time? Uh, it feels like it. Yeah, you know, I think it's been a pretty steep downhill ride since the mid 20th century when I think it's fair to say that um, fairly secular progressives took over the academy. And so when they write histories, when they write um, about politics, they tend to assume that Christianity is a, it's a repressive force. It's a bad thing. It's something that needs to be overcome. And things have only taken off in the 21st century, right? The 1619 Project may be most obvious, obvious, you know, wanting to understand all of America, American history through the lens of slavery and racism, that sort of thing. So this book is aimed at pushing back against all that. And I argue a strong thesis that, that Christianity has been a force for good, especially with respect to freedom and equality in America. Again, our guest uh, right now is uh, Mark David Hall. He's uh, the Herbert Hoover Distinguished Professor of Politics over at George Fox University. Um, and when I look at your the t your text, and this this book is Proclaim, Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land. When I look at this, um, you know, and 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 um, you make a point that Christians were at the forefront of what I uh, the term I use is uh, making a more perfect union. 
In other words, we started out in our Constitution, we acknowledged we've got to make a more perfect union. It was imperfect. And that, that to me, that was a very Christian admission. But, you know, you point out it was Reverend, Dar- Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was Reverend uh, Ralph Abernathy. It was Reverend Andrew Young. They were explicitly motivated by their faith, and it was a Christian movement. That wasn't 100 years ago. That was, you know, 40 years ago. And yet... Now, uh, the movements that assert equality and assert more, um, uh, rights are not even remotely. They don't even, it's, it's not even the Reverend. I don't think Reverend Al Sharpton even pretends anymore. No, I think that's right. And as you know, from my book, I, I begin with the pilgrims and Puritans and argue yeah. that folks who are attempting to create a city on a hill. I, I've argued in my last book, Did America Have a Christian Founding? that our founders were profoundly influenced by Christianity. When they created the our, our experiment in constitutional self-governance, we have the abolitionists. We have the um, in the 20th century, I focused mainly on on the advance of religious liberty for all Americans. But you're exactly right. I could have easily had an entire chapter on the civil rights movement, and all of the leaders of the civil rights movement were minister of the gospels. And, and of course, you have um, both African American and white ministers. It wasn't just simply an African American right. movement. Right. And, and thank goodness for it. Right. Uh, again, uh, our, our guest, uh, Mark David Hall, Professor Hall, is over at uh, George Fox University. Um, does a book like this, um, does it in, in academic circles? Um, because when I read this, it's not really, I mean, you're a professor of politics, I guess, but I mean, to me, it's a lot of history. It's a lot of uh, analytical, you know, kind of analysis of how things fit into history. To, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like it's an argument. It seems like a description of what's gone on. But it doesn't feel like that's how academia reacts to this, right? Again, I mean, uh, have we lost that much ground this, that fast? Yeah, so I've done a dozen academic books with Oxford University Press, um, Cambridge University Press. This book and my last one are explicitly aimed at the general reading public. And so I try to be very clear, very accessible. There, There is an argument involved, right? I'm explicitly right. pushing back against the 1619 Project. But I would like to think it's completely grounded in historical facts. So I think the most progressive, angry atheist can read my book and would have a hard time arguing with it. Um, I think that's right. And I think a lot of it is sort of self-evident. Um, back uh, for a second to the um, to the uh, text itself. Uh in one of the chapters, I'm sorry, I'm trying to find my notes. Uh, yes, there it is. You, you talk about the evangelical reformers. Um, lots of people wish for another uh, a, a revival, right? Uh, not, not just wish, but pray for a revival and pray for, you know, that there would be a period in, in our, uh, th- th- there are periods in our history that we describe as these periods of, of uh, awakening and people, you know, returning to the study of scripture and to uh, uh, an idea that of being governed by uh, an external truth that was from God. How could that happen in the modern moment? I mean, you know, again, you're a professor, so you're exposed to young people, especially, and the technology and how fast it's moved. It's it's hard to see. I guess maybe I, maybe someone around the time that Gutenberg was doing the printing press was acting like me, saying, I don't know how this will turn out. It's really going to be a problem. But it does feel like it's a problem right now. Well, I, I agree. We need revival. And as you point out in Antebellum America, that is 1820s, 1830s, um, that's the time of the Second Great Awakening, where there were right. revivals all over America. People were coming to Christ. People were being convicted and repenting of their sins. 
And um, there, there's a profound missions movement that went along with that, but also a profound movement to reform society, to fix the evils of society. Opposition to slavery is is one of the most obvious of these movements. One I discuss in my book that I think is not all that well known is the opposition to the Indian removal from Georgia. You had the five so-called civilized tribes, the Cherokees and others. And um, Andrew Jackson wanted to move them to Oklahoma. And you had petition after petition signed by evangelicals and all sorts of political activism aimed at protecting these Native Americans, um, guaranteeing them the, the, the land they had by treaty rights. And you just can't explain things like this in terms of self-interest. I, I think it was people motivated by by the gospel. And so I think our prayer for today has to be for revival. And of course, nothing could stop the, the, the God and the Holy Spirit. If, if, if God wants there to be revival, there will be revival. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it, all the stumbling blocks that we, you and I can think of are going to be, uh, you know, they're, they're nothing c- to God. But I, it, it, it's easy to shake your head or your fist at it. Uh, the chapter on again, uh, our, our guest is uh, is uh, Mark David Hall, a professor over at uh, George Fox University, Herbert Hoover, distinguished professor there. Um, the chapter in the book um, must religion be stripped from the public square. And this to me, you know, I'm a lawyer, so it, it, you know, and and I care a lot about these issues. This to me is the the chapter that caught my eye in in terms of what I feel is happening. In other words, starting in, I think you, you started out with 1947 or so. Is, is it Everson? Yeah. And, and then coming forward, it's a sort of activist effort, not just in the courts, although it's the, the courts heavily, but in the culture to drive out of the public square, meaning in my mind, the public schools first, but then just in, in general, dr- drive out the um, the Christian uh, ethos. And, and once you do that, you 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 take care of you eliminate the the education and and you know I I, I joke with people that to me the stat the uh, pledge of allegiance is brainwashing it's just brainwashing in the right direction it, it, you know we, it, when I make my kids say prayers wrote prayers I don't know if they're having deep theological moments but I know that they're directionally they're going to be feeling and seeing in day to day and time go like just like going to church and they're going to oh you know go to church um, m- multiple times a week they're going to have that as a habit in their life as long as I can control it, 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 we lost that as we drove out of the public square, especially public schools, uh, 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 faith and, and Christianity. I don't know how you ever um, get back the, the basics of America without somehow uh, more widely spreading the, that formation. Well, let me just affirm that. I am a huge supporter of Christian schools. I don't know why any parent would have their children in Christian schools if they can at all manage it. Um, You're exactly right with 1947, of course. That's when the U.S. Supreme Court applied the Establishment Clause to the state. The Establishment Clause simply says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. In other words, we aren't going to have a national church. And by the doctrine of incorporation, now we aren't going to have a state church either. But that does not mean we have to strip religion from the public square. It does not mean there's a wall of separation between church and state. Um, so groups like uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation, American Humanist Society, um, they, they, they want to remove like the Blandensburg Cross, right? This 1925 World War One era cross memorializing right, right. young men who died in the First World War. And it's on public land now. And so, of course, American Humanist Association says this has to come down. 
when Ohio built a Holocaust memorial, it wanted to include the the Star of David and the Holocaust memorial. And of course, the Freedom From Religion Foundation people said, no, no, you can't do that. There's a wall of separation between church and state. Well, fortunately, the federal courts have come around to, I think, a sensible um, understanding of the Establishment Clause. And so the Blandensburg Cross was found to be constitutional by a vote of 72. Ohio ignored the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Um, we're, we're seeing public funds going to private religious schools on the same terms as other private schools. It's I think we're actually sitting in a pretty good um, place right now with respect to the federal judiciary and the Establishment Clause. Well, I, I I hope so. And I I think the one thing that I would say is that when you watch like the 1619 Project, and as you say, you, you know, you're, ex, you're explicitly kind of countering that by saying, oh, here's the history. You, what you do find, though, is that people, um, I, I, well, I get, I get disconcerted at the number of people that don't realize they're being fed a, a, a line, you know, and, and that suddenly, you know, the, the 1619, because it was in the New York Times is, is somehow credible when a lot of it seems not only incredible, but lacking in credibility. Um, well, I, I have to leave it there. Uh, Mark David Hall, he's the Herbert Hoover Distinguished Professor of Politics at George Fox University. His book is Proclaim Liberty Throughout, Liberty Throughout the Land, How Christianity Has Advanced Freedom and Equality for All Americans. Fidelis Books, uh, of Post Hill Press has this one out. Uh, thanks for your time, sir, and we'll have you back again. Hey, thanks very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Well, we will. Um, we appreciate it. And I will put up on social media uh, links to uh, all of uh, uh, both the website as well as, uh, uh, excuse me, Sophia Institute Press and a link uh, to where you can get the book, which is everywhere. Uh, it's uh, really helpful. It's I, I, I enjoyed this one a lot. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Happy Tax Day to my fellow American taxpayers. To celebrate, I've turned to Senator Rand Paul's annual Festivus Report to share with you just a few examples of how your tax dollars are stewarded by our elected officials. Just last year, the federal government awarded a grant of $187,500 to Kent State University to conduct a study verifying that the bond between a child and their pet is beneficial. This three-year study will finally put to rest the question of whether children would be better off without man's best friend, a question being asked by exactly no one. The grant does not specify what researchers propose that we do if it turns out having pets is bad for mental health. I guess we'll have to give them more taxpayer dollars if we want an answer to that question. Another line item in our national budget includes spending $200,000 to educate Americans about train tracks. Imagine you're approaching railroad tracks and you observe the railroad crossing sign with the flashing lights, the bells, the train whistle, and that crossbar coming down over the road. What's your first reaction? If you answered, keep driving, then fear no more. The federal government is spending $200,000 this year to educate you that those lights and crossbar mean to stop at railroad crossings. Since 1996, the federal government has given more than $3 million to Northeastern University to fund research into how to overcome steroid abuse. That doesn't sound like the worst use of taxpayer funds, does it? Well, Northeastern's method for studying the problem is to inject hamsters with steroids and watch them fight one another. They then inject the rodents with other drugs to see if they can override the effects of steroids. And maybe this will work on humans, too. 
But rather than trying to counteract the drugs by giving people more drugs, why not just get them to stop taking drugs in the first place? Maybe I should get a research grant to find that out. While I may have been a bit more lighthearted than usual today, know that government waste is a very serious problem. The American people deserve accountability for their tax dollars, and we should demand more oversight. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Liberal politicians cannot be allowed to manipulate tax laws regarding Social Security, charitable donations, retirement accounts, homeownership, and the definition of family. Low taxes and smaller government are core values at phyllisschlafly.com. Join us, won't you, at phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Hey, I went too long on those interviews, so I'm a little long. I only got about 50 seconds. So let me just say thank you, as always, uh, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer who does a great job, and uh, also Ryan Hyder, associate producer. The Those guys help me uh, keep this thing together. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the Daily Wink uh, and uh, also all the rest of uh, what we're up to. Uh, at phyllisschlafly.com. So we will be back uh, tomorrow. Thank you again for listening. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.